Good afternoon and welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Leadership Tools and Strategies. We're here in the first full week of April, so thrilled to have you joining us for our program today. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind you about some very important things in our Nonprofit Exchange community. First off, let me introduce myself. I'm Todd Greer, Executive Director of CenterVision Leadership Foundation and the host of the Nonprofit Exchange. want to remind you that if you have missed previous episodes of the program, you can always go to hangouts.centervisionleadership.org to catch previous episodes. want to also encourage you while we have your attention to check out the Nonprofit Performance Magazine featuring Francis Hesselbein on the cover of our March issue. You can see that at centervisionleadership.org slash magazine. And also want to encourage you to take the conversation today and let's go deeper together. want to invite you to join us for hashtag Nonprofit Chat. That's going to be Thursday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern. We're going to take the conversation today and take it to the next level in the journey. I, I am so thrilled, folks. You can't understand just how excited I am to have with us today Francis Hesselbein, CEO, President of the Hesselbein Leadership Institute. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief rundown of just who Francis is, then we'll really welcome her in and let her talk for herself. So, a little bit of her bio. Frances Hesselbein is the president, the CEO of the Frances Hesselbein Leadership Institute. Before she founded the institute, she served as the CEO of the Girl Scouts of the USA. She rose from being a volunteer troop leader to CEO, a role that she held for 14 years. She was the first chief executive in that organization to come from the field in 67 years. During her tenure, the Girl Scouts attained a membership of 2.25 million with a workforce of 780,000 individuals, most of them volunteers. Now here's one I'm really jealous of. Uh, jealous of. She is the recipient of 20 honorary doctoral degrees. She's the editor-in-chief of the award-winning quarterly journal Leader to Leader. She is the editor co-editor or author of 28 books that have been published in 29 different languages. She has represented the United States and traveled to 68 countries. She's the author of Hesselbein on Leadership and My Life in Leadership. She helped found the Global Academy for Student Leadership and Civic Engagement at the University of Pittsburgh, which bears her name. And in 1998, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom for her work with the Girl Scouts of the USA. And last but not least, just recently, she was named by Fortune Magazine as one of the top 50 world leaders. Frances Hesselbein, thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm so honored, so happy to be here, Todd. Thank you. Absolutely. And folks, let me, let me reiterate, you need to check out the magazine. And I'm going to just give you a, a brief glimpse of the wonderful uh, article that Francis uh, contributed to that. And we're going to show you here. 
There you go. Ready for the next generation. Francis is a advocate for. She is a an encourager of, and she is a mentor to many individuals in the millennial generation. Authored this wonderful piece for our March issue of our magazine on millennials in the nonprofit world. It is uh, it's exciting to think about this, Francis. You you have just recently released the updated version, updated edition of. Peter Drucker's five most important questions. And the first question I have for you is, how did the new edition come about? Um, well, we want we love to engage people. And we are so engaged with millennials. And uh, we thought, instead of the five questions, which... We move all over the world, and as you mentioned, a number of languages. But there has to be something. We have to open new doors. And so we decided the best way to engage millennials is to have them be part of it. And so instead of a new edition, with the same famous great leaders for each question, we had a millennial write the chapter as well. And so you have the partnership, two generations, two very different groups. And yes, the basic passion for learning and values and mission, it flowed through the whole thing. And it made it such a difference, uh, resource. It, it's such a, a unique way of looking at the world, and I think that's one of the things that really stuck out to me. You have um, you've brought in this millennial generation in such a way that I think is so valuable because, for instance, what you've done is you've mirrored what we know from research. They want to have a voice, and they want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves and and that's exactly what you did with the five most important questions you invited them into this space to co-create and I absolutely love that I absolutely love that um, and, and for those that have not yet picked it up if you are here on the website you already see a hyperlink to that that edition go pick it up it's in the top ten on Washington Post uh, hardcover nonfiction bestseller list right now, and, and we want to we want to ramp it up so that it is number one because it deserves and the quality of that content to be at the top. If you're wondering from a context perspective what it looks like, uh, it's very simple questions that guide the inquiry. And and what you see if you open up the book and you look at a question one, you see some original amazing work by the father of modern management, Peter Drucker, but then you see great partners like Jim Collins, author of Good to Great and so many others. You see Dr. Marshall Goldsmith and Dr. Kelly Goldsmith sharing insight. And then at the end of each chapter in such a unique way, there is a millennial takeaway. And in the first one, it's Michael uh, Redparver. And, and he shares, as so many others in the book do, 
this amazing insight that takes and links the generations together. So, uh, Francis, let me ask you, um, I, I said the questions are simple, and simple and easy are not the same thing. How is it that these simple questions have such a lasting impact? When long, long ago, many, many years ago, and when we first, we had, with the Girl Scouts and with our board members, their organizations, we've been using Peter Drucker's three questions. Okay. So, what is, what is our business? Who is a customer? What is a customer value? One day, the day after I left my job with the Girl Scouts, I find myself the president and CEO of Peter Drucker's organization. And we hurried, we had an artist do this beautiful poster with the three questions. We give it to Peter, he looks at it, and he says, oh, there are really five questions. What is our mission? Who is the customer? What is the customer value? But he said, then you have to ask, what have been our results? And what is our plan? Because if you don't have a plan, a good time was had by all, and that is all. So here we were with our beautiful three questions posters, and hurriedly did our five question mm -hmm. poster. But that moved around the world. And it is only Peter Drucker who could distill the concept of management. And whether you are the largest corporation in the world or the smallest neighborhood organization, you have to ask these questions. And only Peter would distill them so they are as recognizable and as not easy to use, but able to move them through the organization, all of us using them, making them our own. They're extremely accessible, and I appreciate the way that you put that, Francis. They're, they're so accessible because these, these are not questions um, that it takes a degree to answer or to think about, to ponder, um, but it certainly takes focus and it takes trust and it, it takes guts to answer these questions, right? Yes, and you have to prepare and not, we know what is good for them, but you, it takes time to find what you are customers truly value. And once we know that, we move, we know the direction in which we will move. I think one of the things that, that sticks out again on this is when we talk about the five questions, um, though, though they were originally used, it seems, in the social sector, uh, we, we see them really applying to each of the three sectors. I mean, we're, whether we're talking about the public, private, or social sector, that, that government 
that for-profit or that not-for-profit, we're, we're really seeing the availability and the accessibility of these questions. I want to hit them again because I think that they're so important. Uh, and again, I'm going to encourage you to go get that book right now. Uh, what is our mission? Now imagine here you are, you're a nonprofit leader, you're sitting there thinking about the context of your mission. What is our mission? And that's not just a one-time question, right? And Peter says your mission should fit on a t-shirt. Well, if you have a 15 or 20 word mission, never gonna fit on a t-shirt so we distill the mission until five or seven words fits on a t-shirt but everyone can remember it mm -hmm. powerful compelling one of the things that I, I see here and I, I it, it made me think uh, just so importantly here we've talked in the past in this program about mission creep, about the ability for us as, as organizational leaders to allow a creep to occur in our mission in the sense that we, we lose focus. And one of the things that's pointed out here in the five questions is the fact that the mission doesn't just determine what we do, it also determines what we don't do, right? Yes. And we revisit the mission. We don't establish the mission and it lasts forever. If, if we feel that way, we will be irrelevant and disappear. But every two or three years, we revisit the mission. And it is solely, why do we do what we do? And, and that's to me. Uh, what we do, it's amazing how often we revise the mission. Maybe it doesn't change drastically. Frequently we distill it. Looks much better on a t-shirt. We, we look at this and we see that each one of these questions has to be adapted as we go. Because I, I was thinking about who is our customer. Our customer uh, five years ago and our customer today uh, could be very different. They could be very different and I, I think even um, the context of the edition coming out and featuring Millennials certainly has to awaken us to that. If we think about our organizations and we think about this idea of what happens when the Millennial comes into our organization, what happens when we serve this population, uh, certainly that, that challenges us to rethink that context. Is that right, Francis? I, mean, I, I know that yeah. you're, you're out there doing a lot, so what have you seen? Well, every year you do this remarkable review, what's happened this year, the annual report. But every three years, this massive, intensive, re we revisit the mission. Is it still why we do what we do? Mm. And many times, it changes. Many times it shortens. Many times the focus is different. So we don't sit say, well, 10 years ago we developed our mission. No. We are very conscious because we're mission focused, values based, and demographics driven mm. because customer 
every year, and especially this three years, has the customers changed? Who are our customers? Maybe it is not one, maybe it's three. But we are so conscious and so engaged in being mission focused. And we don't have 10 values, we have three or four. And we live them. Yeah. And then that demographics driven, or as we say, we manage for diversity. Hmm. And this isn't something you say, well, we'll do the first two, but number three, maybe we'll get to that later. Sorry, you're already part of the past, if that's what you were thinking. That's a great point. Uh, and we're going to come... Uh, and, and a little bit later, I'm going to touch on uh, your your chapter that you wrote on on transformation, uh, transformational leadership. Uh, one of, one of your eight uh, milestones that you talk about is challenge the gospel, and I you, you kind of talked about it that a little bit right there. We'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit, but one of the things that stands out to me is um, is what kind of reaction have you seen? I know the the updated book has only been out. Uh, really, for just a short while. But what kinds of reaction, uh, Francis, have you seen over the course of, of the times that this has been published? What are people that are leaders saying that the Five Questions book has done for them? They're very positive, very positive about it. And uh, it's... Uh, We've been talking about the millennials, and uh, they in particular are very excited about this one because it includes them. Mm -hmm. And with the massive changes and so much negative thinking, um, we find the groups using it are very positive. And they are grateful to have a tool they make their own. And the mission turns out not to be something nice you put on a plaque on the wall in the boardroom. You live it. It's who you are. Mission focus. You... Um you, you touched on a lot of important things here. Um, you, you, you talked about it as a tool, and, and I know that in the book it's referred to oftentimes as a self-assessment tool. Um, and it, it is very accessible as that. If you would for us, would you paint, just kind of in some broad strokes, what would it take for an organization to really have dialogue on the five questions? Uh, first, the team, the management team, has to feel passionately about it. And then it isn't something you do to people, it's exciting, something you live with them. So you make sure it becomes part of them. And it's our team asking questions that 
will move us into a bright future. And I keep those two words in the back of my head because over and over we see when they use the tool, they open a the door that says bright future. I, I love that imagery there. I think it has to be everybody's. Every team is theirs, and they have a copy of it. And everybody is engaged. It's not, now let me tell you what you ought to be thinking. No. This is, they're engaged in this marvelous team approach to management and leadership. And it is as essential for the management team as it is for the board. Such a great point. I, I, I think it's funny, um, it, funny may not be the right word, but I think it's interesting to chart um, when these ideas were first coming out, uh, particularly this idea of, of leadership not just being top-down, but this aspect of dialogue to uh, engage and to think about mission, how, how tough that must have been. I mean, I, I can't imagine pe people thinking and being thrilled about the idea that, hey, we're going to have dialogue about this. Yeah. No, when you say... The old hierarchy is dead. People look, what? Yes, no more top-down, uh, top-bottom, up-down, superior, subordinate. Now, have you ever met a young staff member or board member who's like, I can't, I just can't wait to be a subordinate? Of course not. <laughs> In this beautiful circular movement, and we move across the organization. And when we change our language, it unleashes a new kind of energy and passion, Todd. You're absolutely right. And it's funny, you know, we, we've talked in the past about. Uh, my background in leadership, and I, I, I've shared with, with Francis, if you're watching uh, and joining us now, um, we've talked about my, my background in leadership. I have a PhD in organizational leadership, and one of the things I shared with Francis is just how much of the thinking that she and Peter were central in developing has, has shaped the way that I think. And it's funny because these ideas, even today, some of the concepts are still quite challenging to most people when we think about, uh, you know, banning the hierarchy, which is one of your milestones here, Francis. Oh man, I, I'm certain uh, you go back a couple a couple years, they might be banning that part of that book. They might be setting that part that chapter on fire. Uh, it, it's such a challenge to us, but I think this is really important because each one of us, as we lead in our organizations. We have to be open. We have to be willing to adapt. Yes. Think. Yes. Remember a long time ago, 1638, something like that, Emerson wrote, Be ye an opener of doors. That is as essential today, and I love to think about that. And I look at some leaders, they open the door and for all the people and 
they close some doors. You don't need those any longer. And they move into the future. So it's sort of fun to think all these hundreds of years ago, long ago, someone realized being opener of doors. And today, that's what you and I are trying to do. Absolutely. Yours. And we choose our fellow travelers very wisely. So here we have our management team, whatever the group is, and we go together. That's a great point. That's a great point. Very excited about Yeah. It leadership is a matter of how to be not how to do. And we've been talking about the quality and character of the leader that makes all of this possible. Yes. Uh, I, if you've never heard uh, Francis talk about it before, leadership is not, it's not the things that you do, it's what you are, it's who you are, it's how how to be, how to be. And, and again, um, if, you're, if you're following her and you're on Twitter, but you're not following Francis on Twitter, at to serve is to live. I, I, I love that. Um, I, the institution, my undergrad institution is Defiance College. Um, and, and to serve, to lead, or to know, to understand, to serve, to lead. Those were the four things that were part of it. So when I saw uh, to lead, uh, you know, the service aspect here is so, so important. Uh, Francis, I want to I dig in uh, again here real quick to your chapter on transformational leadership because you discuss in that eight milestones. Um, and I want to hit just real quickly on, on a couple of them, if you don't mind. Please. Scan the environment. What does that look like? If I'm an organizational leader, what does it mean for me to scan the environment in my organization? Uh, there is an openness, and when all of us look at you, our leader, we don't hear... I, 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 me, 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 my, 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 we hear Todd talking about, now we're all going to look at this together, and you talk about we, and us, and our, and it's not just talk. Uh, you might have a couple people join you, join someone, in just looking at something and bringing a question to the group. And once we begin this journey with the inclusion, and we find ways for people who were never included before, and here they are, they find themselves, oh, I'm really part of this. And the results are overwhelming for your organization, the company. That's, that's important here. Um, scan the environment. Think about that in your own context. As we as we look out in our organizations, 
one of those great leadership roles that we play is just to be able to step back and see. Um, and I think that's an important piece for us because it's very simple, very easy for us to get so caught up that we fail to see what's happening around us to scan the environment. You also hit on the importance of revisiting the mission, and I know we've touched on that briefly here, uh, but, but what does that look like as you, as you think about um, in your own work, whether it was with the Girl Scouts of the USA or if it, with uh, the, the Institute, what does it look like for you as you think about revisiting the mission uh, in your organization? Well, I can remember that as I was leaving the Girl Scouts, it was very simple to help each girl reach her own highest potential. Very simple. Here, uh, we have a very simple one to help the leaders of the social sector and their partners in business and government. So. We just, whatever anyone needs, we try to support. And um, to serve, to serve is to live is, I call it my invisible tattoo. I wear it, you can't see it, the ink is invisible. But I have two other tattoos, Todd, they're invisible, but I wear them all the time. Peter Drucker. I have one little tattoo over here that says, Ask, Don't Tell. Mm. You like that? I love that. Over here, Think First, Speak Last. How many times have we blurted out something in a group and then after we did it, we thought, oh, why didn't I wait? Yes, uh, later would have been much better. So uh, it's sort of interesting hmm. as we go along. I, I, love, I love the invisible tattoos, and, and I know in my generation, uh, the real tattoos are, are much more prevalent, um, but I think I'm going to take some of your invisible tattoos and uh, use some of that invisible ink on myself too because I, I love that. Um, one of the things I often say is that we value what we celebrate. We value what we celebrate. Um, and I think obviously anybody that knows Francis, that, that knows you, that knows your work, uh, knows what you celebrate. They know what you value. They see it. Uh, they see you writing about it, talking about it, living it, loving it, sharing it. So, uh, absolutely. I I'm going to hit on one piece. Um, it was it was the fourth milestone that you have, um, and then I want to use just a quick couple seconds to to follow up on on the social sector as a whole. You you talk about challenge the gospel. Um, I, I love that, that concept there. Um, you know, sometimes we refer to the sacred cows in our organization. What does it take, Francis, to, to challenge the gospel in our organizations? Well, um, it takes courage and it takes excellent preparation. And so, 
Here is something that's been on plaques on the wall for 40 years. And my grandfather made that plaque, you might hear, or all that. Uh, and it's time to move. So we find a way to appreciate it, value it, and it's part of a brilliant history. And we move into a new mission or a statement of values or principles. And but we do it with celebrating and appreciating have people realize we're not tearing it down or throwing it away. We're saying this part of our history was brilliant. It's why we're where we are today. And so today, here are the five words that will describe our bright future. At first, we take care of the past. Honor the past. Cherish the future. The difference. And I, I want to point out here, because that's one of the things I think that's often... Uh, pointed at millennials is they talk about their their desire for for change, their desire to to you know adapt and, and and go different places in an organization. And I think one of the ways that we can really bridge the generational divide uh, is simply by doing what you just said there, Francis, to honor the past and, and cherish the future. How how do we how do we hold in high regard the narrative? that has defined our organization, the narrative that has shaped it, the people who have been foundational to our growth, and at the same time recognize that we're in a new opportunity. We might have a, new, a need for changes in our mission, and we've got new customers, and our customers value different things. So we, we revisit those five questions, and we start thinking about, yeah, we still can hold in high regard the things that have come before us, at the same time as we remember if we live in the past, our organizations will die. It's part of the past. Well, all along, we have been learning and growing, but we have taken our people with us. Hmm. It isn't something that the management team talks about with the CEO, and maybe we put it in the annual report. No, we share it, and across the organization, not up or down, across as the organization moves in its thinking, it becomes our thinking, not, well, CEO feels this way and we're better. No, we've all been part of the development, and it can be one of the healthiest most vigorous kinds of movements within the organization. People are excited. You see them come out of the door and you can tell they're part of the organization and they feel a sense of ownership. And the mission is not a plaque. The mission is solely why do we do what we do? Our, reason for being and it becomes as 
the guy on the freight elevator as the person who is in the plushiest office. It's our mission. Mm. And these are our four values we live by. Mm. I so love um, how often the language that you use is just so inclusive and it gives space for everybody here. You just talked about what uh, typically people think of as the high and the low end of a hierarchy and you've, you've been so inclusive together and I think that there's a, there's a lot of wisdom in what Peter Drucker once said that you could literally manage any organization uh, <laughs> because of the way that you see things, Francis. Um, I, I know we're, we're kind of pulling to a close and I think we could probably chat for weeks on end with uh, just the amazing insight that you bring forth. Would you just briefly, uh, would you take us through what are some of the trends that you have seen in the social sector uh, during your career? If you think about leadership changes um, from the time that you stepped into uh, the CEO role at the Girl Scouts of the USA in 1976 to today. What's what's changed? Uh, I I believe that the organizations that had a mission that was a plaque and the reason for being stayed in the CEO's office, they quietly disappeared. Mm. Now, when we are engaged and everything is circular and we move across the organization, but the education of our people, everybody has a chance to learn and grow during that year. And maybe we have a pamphlet, maybe we have a little book, um, but it's tangible, and it's, uh, our people look at it, and it's what they need, and what they want, and because we take the time to educate our people, however we do it, they feel they are uh, appreciated and they're part of the family, part of the organization, the company, the corporation, and the best ones are do this. They move across the organization and it is, they know all the ways there are to communicate. And they educate their people. I love it. And we know why we are in this business. It's our mission. And I can ask the elevator operator over in the freight elevator, what is the mission of your company? He gives me five words. He said, oh, our mission is blank, blank, blank. I say, oh, I'm very inspired. Yeah. And that isn't just nice talk, it's happening everywhere. And the more it happens, the richer on the ground life in the community, 
becomes. And if you're out there and you're wondering what kind of tool can you use to be able to move your organization to that type of ownership, uh, Peter Drucker's five most important questions uh, were joined and, and so thankful for Francis Hesselbein, one of the editors, one of the authors on that, somebody who has been vital in shaping the way that we think in the social sector. Francis, thank you so much for joining us. We're just We've been so blessed to have you with us, so blessed to see how you're thinking and the, how you're doing, your way of being has improved and informed us. So thank you so much. Well, it's an honor to be with you and your people, so I, I hope I could come back sometime. I'd love to serve any way you can think of, even scrubbing the lobby floor, if that would be helpful. But no, please. We'd love to be part of you. Francis, you are always welcome. As, as we say, the door is always open for you because beyond that door, there's a bright future. I learned that from you. It's fair. It sure fair. is. Folks, let me remind you real quickly, Francis was our cover feature for the March issue of Nonprofit Performance Magazine that is open and accessible to you. You can get the free digital issue. You can check it out centervisionleadership.org slash magazine. want to encourage you again to follow the nonprofit chat, hashtag nonprofit chat. We're going to continue the discussion from today. That's Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll dig into the five questions. We'll think about what is this idea of thinking about our mission, our customer, what they value, what our results and our plans are. We're talking about really how do we do this leadership thing in the nonprofit sector. So thrilled to have you with us. If you've enjoyed what you've seen today, I want to invite you, come join the community. Centervisionleadership.org slash register. There's an opportunity for anybody, no matter what your uh, limitations are, we want you in. We think it's important to engage in the conversation together. But again, say thank you so much to Francis Hesselbein. CEO, President of the Francis Hesselbein Leadership Institute. She is informing and encouraging us day by day. And folks, go out, get the five most important questions, and you too will be blessed. Francis, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and please invite me again. And may I invite you to have lunch with me in New York to celebrate this marvelous moment? Would love to. We'll figure out that time here coming soon. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>